Can everybody hear me at the back? Okay, I think we're going to get things started again. I hope you've enjoyed the meal. And uh, once again, want to recognize Great Plate Catering for providing such a nutritious and healthy meal. Um, I do also want to mention that um, all of the upcoming sessions for SACPA are listed on the SACPA website. And that next week's session will be uh, entitled Climate Change, Hunger and Migration. And the, with the subtitle, Can We Attain the UN Sustainable Development Goals? And our speaker will be Trevor Page. And so that takes place right here next week, same time. And um, I notice we're starting to get a line of one started. And I encourage uh, anybody else who's got questions to uh, form a line behind Mary uh, to stage left. Um, and if anybody, again, has questions that they'd like to submit to Annalise, we can read them out for you. And I just want to remind you that when you do ask questions, just to keep the questions brief, um, succinct. And then when you've finished your question, uh, to please uh, take your seat again so others can join in behind you. Um, and I will invite once again uh, our very honored guest, uh, Shannon Phillips, and once again reintroduce the topic of alternative, Alberta's alternative budget. What is the official opposition NDP proposing? Uh, go ahead, Mary. Mary Shillington, thanks Shannon for a very informative talk. Um, Jim Story uh, has, uh, Tory, sorry, whatever his name is, uh, Progress Report has been talking about AMCO and uh, the investment that, uh, that uh, our esteemed Premier is uh, talking about uh, changing things too. Uh, and I'm wondering, as a, a non, as a, as a person very concerned about those kind of things, and, and not a UCP supporter, what would be the best way to express my concern and uh, have some impact. Sure. <clears throat> so uh, for everyone's background, uh, AIMCO is the uh, uh, investment corporation of the provincial government uh, of Alberta and invests uh, our uh, heritage fund and a number of other uh, of our provincial investments, uh, which is fine. Um, and uh, it is arm's length from government, which is also more than fine. Uh, and so they go out into the market and find uh, uh, long-duration, uh, sound investments uh, uh, so that they can generate returns for Albertans. This is all well and good. What has happened uh, in the last couple of months since the budget is that there was a directive to bring the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund uh, being uh, exclusively invested by AIMCO uh, and uh, uh, that the local authorities' pension plan, which covers uh, you know, kind of uh, everyone from nurses to municipal workers to uh, uh, educational assistants in schools. Uh, that's the pension plan that, that covers, uh, it's a couple hundred thousand Albertans, I think, um, that they can't leave <clears throat> AIMCO. AIMCO currently invests their pension plan, but uh, they can't look at their options. So really consolidating all of Alberta's pension plans under the, uh, uh, one investment umbrella. And it looks like maybe a little bit of political tinkering on uh, uh, what AIMCO's investments are as well. Although um, I, I think we want to be a bit careful about that, uh, but uh, uh, it, certainly we're beginning to see some 
some evidence of that. This makes a lot of people who have paid into uh, the local authorities' pension plan and other pensions very nervous um, that uh, their pensions, the, their, their foregone income, uh, their own savings, uh, their retirement security will be uh, uh, tinkered with uh, uh, and uh, politicized uh, by a government with a na very narrow set of priorities and a particular uh, uh, agenda. And uh, 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 further to that, there is a proposal to remove Alberta from the Canada Pension Plan and uh, have AIMCO um, uh, manage those assets in some sort of provincial pension plan as well, which uh, you know, the majority of Albertans don't have uh, a defined benefit pension plan. What they have are their RRSPs uh, and uh, their Canada Pension Plan that they've been paying into their entire working lives. So this too uh, is uh, a, a, a jaw-droppingly uh, uh, structural, big, jaw-droppingly big structural change uh, to all of our lives and our livelihoods that I think we need to keep an eye on. This is a long way of answering that uh, uh, what do you need to do? Uh, this is a complicated file, but I think actually, like, let's boil it down to <clears throat> a, a non-complicated uh, explanation, which is this is our retirement security, this is our money, keep your mitts off it, uh, I think is the message, and I think that message is appropriately directed to Mr. Newdorf's office, um, because we can't, you know, y you can write to the Premier, <laughs> a lot of people do, uh, you, can, you can write to the Finance Minister too, but you have a local representative, uh, that uh, I, I think it's important that uh, he hears what's important to this community. Uh, we have uh, uh, levers that we can pull locally, pressure that we can put locally, uh, uh, that uh, is, is far more concentrated than if you were to engage other, uh, other levels where it then becomes much more diffuse. Uh, this is not to say that there is no value in engaging the finance minister in the premier's office, there is, uh, but in the first instance, um, uh, uh, communicating your displeasure around these decisions or others uh, to our local representative is, I think, uh, uh, the, the right way to go. Okay. Next question. Hi, Shannon. Maria Fitzpatrick speaking. Thank you for uh, a great uh, presentation that succinctly put together all of the um, negative things that have happened since that budget came out. Uh, so I have two questions. The first one is uh, the number of people who are going to lose their jobs, they all pay income tax provincially. And has anybody put together some numbers of how much more money is coming out of the provincial budget because they won't be working and paying taxes? That's the first one. And the second one is uh, the grab of the pension funds. And I believe there was a clause that said the government could take 10% right off the top and direct investment. Now, I may, be, may not be accurate on that, but that's uh, what I had read. Uh, is this an effort by the Kenny government to say, oh, look, we've balanced our budget because they have access to that money? Um, thank you. I, thank you for that, Maria. Uh, to the first question around uh, uh, economic impacts of job losses, uh, that's something that you're going to see show, uh, showing up in uh, the, the, the forecasts as they come out. Uh, and uh, as those employment numbers become more clear, 
uh, and it, it becomes more clear just exactly what AHS is going to do in response to uh, the budget targets that they're given, the school bar boards and others. Then you'll start to see that baked into both the Bank of Canada's forecasts for, for Alberta uh, and the private sector bank's forecasts for Alberta. They, they kind of do it once it starts to happen though, right? They're not going to just uh, project something based on on uh, the negotiating position that the government put out, which was where that 5,000 number came from. Um, so that's where we'll start to see it. And last year, last summer, the bank, when the Bank of Canada did their uh, countrywide, you know, province by province uh, uh, forecasts, they even said, you know, Ontario's growth was decent, but BC and Quebec uh, uh, were forecast to lead the country in economic growth, uh, uh, according to their forecast because Ontario's private sector growth was okay, but the um, cuts to the public sector were offsetting those positive gains in the private. And so that is why other provinces uh, uh, then had, had uh, uh, more uh, economic growth than, than Ontario did, just as an example. <clears throat> as to the question, uh, you're right, that uh, uh, there were some uh, mechanisms within the legislation <coughs> that they introduced around uh, uh, AIMCO for a whole back of funds and, and other things. I, I would want to be a little bit careful on, on uh, uh, ascribing motives on what government is going to do uh, as a consequence of having those uh, uh, pieces enabled. Um, and, and uh, you know, the AIMCO board uh, is a, a board of investment professionals too. And so where there may be an effort uh, coming out of the Premier's office to politicize their activities, I imagine that they will probably push back. Um, and uh, again, all of this is enormously complicated. Uh, we're talking about you know in, in global investment cycles and uh, 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 investment bankers of various kinds on a on a government board with uh, you know uh, several billion dollars under uh, asset uh, in assets under management. Uh, I think what we want to do is is just uh, boil it down here, which is there is a broader play happening with our pensions. Uh, and, uh, and that is in service of uh, oil and gas companies that potentially cannot access capital on global markets in the usual uh, uh, market ways and uh, at providing them a pool of capital that otherwise would not be available to them under normal business conditions. Uh, and uh, that's our retirement savings. So I think you want to focus on what we know uh, and focus on where we know the, uh, uh, the pressure will help which is on our local representative. Next question. Hi, Shannon. Ken Sears. I was at the Fair Deal Alberta panel, their name, not mine, and um, I had actually intended to ask you about pensions, but I'm going to shift over to one of the other nine term terms of reference that they had, which is uh, rural community, taking over the RCMP for an Alberta uh, police force. Tie coupled with to that with the what's already happening, which is the provincial governments telling the municipalities that by 2023 they're going to be paying 30% of the cost of policing. Mostly, they're hiding it under the under the rubric of having another two or three thousand policemen out there in the, in, the, in the communities. But this is a devolution of costs. It's a devolution of tax uh, um, expense down to the municipal levels, and the municipal governments in this province and every most other provinces have very limited means of raising revenue. It all generally has to flow through the provincial government. So you want to talk about that for a bit? Sure, everyone's property taxes are going to go up. 
that's the answer, uh, particularly in rural Alberta, and significantly in some places. Uh, and that is because what the province did is they came out with a new rural policing uh, strategy where they simply said to municipalities, you are going to pay for more police officers. So now municipalities are look, uh, looking at adjusting their mill rates upwards uh, and uh, uh, property taxes are going to go up as a result of the actions of this government. Um, the idea that uh, they are now contemplating a provincial police force, uh, again, if we would like to pay more for our police officers uh, and uh, rip up the agreement with the RCMP, uh, then uh, uh, that is an option available to us uh, if we would like to pay more uh, and because a provincial police force is more expensive uh, than the current uh, RCMP uh, uh, servicing agreement. So again, uh, uh, this, I mean, that, that proposal is purely ideological uh, and uh, it comes out of a sort of far-right fringe uh, idea of, of uh, uh, continuing to put a firewall around Alberta. Uh, these ideas have been around for a long time. Uh, and uh, the reason why they have been rejected, even by you know, the likes of Ralph Klein and, and others, is because they are astronomically expensive. Um, my name is Patricia Boswell, and I challenged Newdorf just before, Mr. Newdorf, I should say, um, just before Christmas, again, on this pensions thing. Now, this is four people in a row, so please take that and take it back with you. Um, I, the, in answer to the first lady who spoke, um, the Alberta retirement people did actually get in touch with the members and we were asked if we would um, send a supporting document, just sign here, it was a format. So we did and we got a reply back from that and then we went on uh, directed to Mr. Newdorf, and so we did that. And then we got this great long form letter, which was just a sort of uh, standard uh, reply to make you feel happy. And my question about this is if we're 50-50 in the Alberta retirement with who's putting in the money, is there not a legal position that could be taken that we refuse to go and be sucked dry um, because 50-50 is what it says. Yeah. Well, certainly under the and terms can, of- Pardon me, if yeah. you're the finance uh, yeah. representative, can you put pressure on that? Yes, so uh, yes, uh, and uh, uh, this is going to be some of the lines of questioning within the house. Uh, uh, when we come in in the spring uh, around uh, the terms of joint governance and, and uh, uh, some of the uh, legal ramifications of this. Um, I think it is uh, more than fair to say that the hundreds of emails that we got on this topic before Christmas uh, uh, did have an impact. I think you're gonna have to do it again and again and again, right? Uh, but I do think that uh, the government caucus did have a little bit of a wobble over this and a couple of other issues because they heard from people. So, um, you know, we didn't get instant satisfaction uh, uh, from that particular uh, outcome, but that isn't to say that we don't go back and, and, and uh, keep the pressure on. Um, and I know that the uh, Teachers Retirement Fund and the ATA are looking at their legal options as well. Okay, but 
You, d you don't think a legal challenge would be worth it from your side of the floor? I, I'm not a pension law, uh, law expert, mm -hmm. so I, I, would I would not want to wade in on that. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, my role would be to stand up in the House and say something along the lines of, uh, explain to me how a 50-50 joint governance arrangement is not being abrogated uh, uh, with, this, uh, with this series of decisions and legislative changes. Okay, thank you. Yeah. so much for their presentation. Uh, my question is, uh, I find these things very concerning. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, how do we make sure a UCP government doesn't get reelected? We elect more than the, we score more goals than the other guy, right? <laughs> is how we win the game. Uh, and so, I mean, what do we do in our local uh, uh, community is we, we, we do the same, everything's the same as it ever was. Right? I mean, the challenges d change over time, uh, and uh, the challenges, uh, uh, the nature of them uh, changes over time, but I think for progressive people uh, in Alberta, the sort of the job brief uh, remains the same, uh, which is uh, we're going to organize in our communities. I think we have an interesting set of challenges for the com this community uh, in the next uh, uh, year or two, and, and Lisa and Keith and I have been talking about how we navigate that, how we organize at the community level around specific community issues, how we make sure that we're keeping tabs on the decisions that the, the school boards make and the, and the city makes so that we know that they're going to be put in a num between a number of rocks and a number of hard places. Uh, but it's going to be up to us to ensure that they're trying to make decisions that are protecting vulnerable people in as much as they can and, and, and organizing around those issues. Uh, organize, like Literally, lots more no door knocking on issue-based uh, 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 initiatives, uh, engaging in a, in a deeper way, I think, uh, uh, with communities uh, and different neighborhoods, um, taking responsibility for door knocking our neighborhoods uh, over a period of three years. Uh, that, that kind of stuff is uh, uh, what, well, it's, first of all, it's what wins elections, but in the meantime, it's also what, uh, you know, more pressingly, I think, um, knits our communities together, makes us stronger, uh, uh, ensures that everyone knows the effects of, of government decisions uh, and how government uh, and, uh, affects our lives, right? How those collective decision-making institutions are real uh, and uh, and their, their decisions have consequence and that everyone can uh, uh, have a say in how those decisions are made. I think that's an important civics lesson in 2020 uh, that, uh, that we could use, use with some learning and relearning, uh, that uh, the decisions matter and that we can have an effect on them. And I think already we've seen, you know, it's easy to get a, a little bit uh, uh, down and uh, negative about, uh, uh, you know, the sort of tsunami of, of bad ideas that have come out of uh, Jason Kenney's Premier's office. But uh, we've already seen some uh, uh, small victories. We still have, for example, a school breakfast and lunch nutrition program because people lost their minds uh, when it would, they were contemplating cutting it. And where did, uh, I, I, what was ground zero of the mind losing? Nicholas Sharon, Agnes Davidson, it was those parents that uh, pushed it out into the media and embarrassed this government into re, uh, keeping on funding that program. That's one example. Another one is the Rutherford scholarships, right? Last summer, the, the government said, oh, no, no, it's a technology upgrade. That's why kids aren't getting their Rutherford scholarships. It was, it was parents down here 
we know them, they're all known to us, uh, uh, who were organizing around this, this topic, pushed it out into the media, uh, mobilized a bunch of parents to start writing emails, and then all of a sudden, poof, the technology problem went away and kids were applying for their Rutherford scholarships. The documents just came out on, what was it, Tuesday, that showed that the government was lying the entire time. The technology thing was uh, not real, uh, and they were holding back those Rutherford scholarships because they were intending to cut them. Uh, but that was people that pushed back on that. So it, change can happen. Thank you, Shannon. Ian Hurdle. Um, we're all feeling a lot of the rugs being pulled out on us. Um, so I have a, I'm going to ask you for a little impression on some information I've come, come to my attention recently. There's four major hospitals in Calgary, and as of January 1st, there'll be no staffing of the operating rooms past 11 o'clock at night except for foothills. The second one is a lot of the people that teach at medical schools are not full-time professors. They do it part-time. Mm -hmm. And I've been told that the small stipend some of the people are paid would cost them a loss of about 40% of the people that instruct in those schools. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, if there's any information that you would like to share with my staff, they are here. If Keith can put up his hand and Lisa, uh, uh, that would be helpful. We are hearing uh, there are bubbling a number of changes uh, being contemplated within the healthcare system. We've just heard about uh, uh, two more possible uh, uh, changes. Um, you know, I think what we need to realize here is that uh, uh, when Jason Kenney is asked about healthcare and asked about privatization. Uh, he says, oh, there's the NDP again, talking about Metascare. And if it worked, that's what he says every single time in the question, in question period, and he said it in the media too. You know, and he, he has said things like, well, if it worked to, uh, for, the, uh, for the NDP to be scaring people about private health care, then they would be government forever. So we don't need to worry about what they say about health care. That's what he says. So that is the level of arrogance and hubris uh, that underlines uh, uh, the, the governing ethos, if you will. But it also shows that they don't believe that uh, privatization of some services, uh, choking off the public system, as we, we just heard, uh, uh, and their, their capacity to be able to deliver, uh, uh, will have political consequence. So I think it's up to the people in this room and rooms just like uh, uh, this one uh, across this province to prove his theory of the case wrong. Thanks for your presentation, Shannon. My name's... Yeah, just one second. Um, just looking at the clock, I think we've got time for the three questions so, uh, in, so that we can get everybody in. Uh, three short questions and three short answers, please. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. It's my fault, not yours. Thanks for your presentation. My name is Lori Schultz, and I really have two questions. You pick one. Um, <clears throat> with respect to the CEC, the, the uh, Canada Energy Centre, um, <clears throat> my understanding is, is that agency, uh, from the budget that Mr. Newdorf presented uh, before Christmas, $30 million of taxpayers' money has gone to the CEC, and it is not, it's a private corporation, and therefore FOIP requests cannot be made to, to them. Uh, so I'm wondering if you can comment on that. And the other question, I'll just throw it out there, is I'm just curious about this 4.7 billion in corporate, whatever it is. Um, just 
by what mechanism or measure is the UCP using to see how that money stays in Alberta or creates jobs? Yeah. Um, they so aren't. Anyway. So they're, they aren't, uh, to the latter question. Uh, there is none. Uh, and to the question of this uh, energy war room, uh, the uh, budget allocation is 20 million out of the industrial uh, emitters tax. So we've had a, a carbon tax on large industrial facilities since 2008. Uh, Stelmac government brought it in. Uh, I updated it a little bit uh, when I had the occasion to do so. Uh, and uh, uh, it remains in place. And so 20 million is coming, it's, it's, so it's industry uh, uh, levy, but where does that money go when it's not going to fund a ridiculous clown show? It goes into diversification. Uh, that money is reinvested into clean technology uh, and uh, renewables and other uh, uh, emissions reducing activities. And by law, when I was in government and when Mr. Stelmack was in government, uh, it had to be reinvested in those things. These guys changed that law so they can spend it on whatever they want. So it's become their little slush fund. 10 million is taxpayers' money. But so it's, you know, it's, it, it's both. Uh, uh, regardless of where the money comes from, I don't care if it comes from, a, a, you know, a, under a rock. It, it's uh, a ridiculous clown show, embarrassing, disastrous uh, exercise that has had serial blunders associated with it. It has now become a joke, and it needs to be dismantled. At $82,000 a day, it's an awfully expensive joke, and no one's laughing. Bev Mundell-Atherstone, thank you so much, Shannon. And thank you very much for what you're doing up in Edmonton. We cannot thank you enough for being a great opposition. Thanks. I personally experienced what privatized healthcare looks like in California when my mom, who had fabulous health insurance, accidentally ended up in one of the warehouse hospitals. They were in the industrial part of town. The hospitals were all lined up according to how much money you were willing to pay. Um, in some, there were not even any doctors. One nurse on the ward, the, the uh, beds were all in a row, and the people were kind of left there to die. So this is what we look forward to if we have privatized healthcare with HMOs who, are, who have their eyes on Alberta as the thin edge of the wedge. Um, one way, I agree with you totally, we've got to react to what's happening, and under the previous conservative governments, we were able to keep healthcare in Alberta, keep it from being privatized, and I would recommend that people come tonight to hear friends of Medicare speaker, Dr. Sharon Yannicki, speaking on the social determinants of health, which is exactly what yeah, will happen uh, if these cuts go in place. Thanks. Thanks, Beth. Yes. <laughs> friends of Medicare tonight, friends. Hi, Shannon. Uh, Hi. Tris Pargeter. Um, in sort of uh, light of all these increases anyway, and uh, relative to the three years of ordeal that are still in front of us, uh, why no talk of a sales tax? You know, in my view, uh, at this point, well, there's a couple of things here. Um, you know, if folks want a sales tax, they should campaign for a sales tax. Uh, and they should uh, uh, do what Tris just did, which is uh, uh, speak out in favor of it. Uh, because politicians of all stripes respond to uh, uh, what the public wants. Right now, when uh, we look at the, the polling broadly, people do not want a sales tax. Uh, and that is reality. 
Uh, and uh, uh, more to the point, I think there's a couple of things here. One, you'd have to run on it if you wanted to do it. Uh, and two, um, I, I think there's a, uh, there's a way that spares some of the potentially regressive elements of a sales tax, which is to have put in place a wealth tax. Uh, I think that uh, if we were to do a 1% on the 1% and uh, have an adult conversation about how the very rich uh, need to pay their fair share, uh, whether they are corporations or very high-income individuals, uh, that, is the, that is step one, I think, uh, in terms of the, uh, the tax conversation from my perspective. Well, I think we're uh, dead on time. And uh, please all put your hands together for Shannon Phillips.